morning. Today's reading is in the second chapter of Ephesians, the first ten verses. Feel free to follow along in a Bible you brought yourself or one in the pew, or be blessed by listening. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us, in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Father God, I praise you And I thank you for salvation. And as Paul Washer would say, you didn't die on the cross to make bad people good, but to bring dead people to life. Many here who have trusted in Christ can remember back when they were powerless over their sins and addictions, but God gave all. He brought us out of our dead works and into a new life solely by his grace and mercy and love through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for giving us this opportunity to worship you in music and in the reading of your word and the preaching of the same. Thank you for our music, our leader of our music team, Steve Altman. He loves your word, he loves you, and he loves us. I pray that you'd put in his heart what you would have him teach us. And Lord, I pray that... uh, We would have ears to hear, and we would take to heart the message that he's going to bring. In your name we pray, amen. I always count it a great privilege to be able to teach. Steve is uh, in Gainesville uh, celebrating his daughter's birthday, his son-in-law's birthday, and his upcoming grandchild in utero. (laughs) enjoying a, a little bit of time off. It's good for him to be able to get away, and um, it's very gracious of him to offer to let me to teach, which I really enjoy doing as well. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 3 to 14. We're going to look at the spiritual blessings that God has given us. We've been singing about a lot of blessings this morning and remembering them. And I notice that for the most part, 
in my own heart, when I'm thinking of the blessings God gives me, it's easier to remember all of the earthly blessings because there's so many. I mean, he, he's given me so many great things in my life that I can see and touch and handle and smell and enjoy. But greater than all of those are the spiritual blessings that he gives us, and, and we don't think about those enough. And Paul mentions all of those. I'm going to look at seven of them that are in these first verses that are spiritual blessings that God gives us in the heavenlies. So starting verse 3, he says, To blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. First of all, as I just said, they're not earthly blessings. These are all going to be spiritual blessings that he's talking about. When Israel thought of how God was blessing them, most of the time they always thought of the land that he had given them, crops, uh, their, their cattle, the number of children that they had. Those were all blessings of God. They didn't really think about too much their personal relationship with Jesus or with God because they didn't have one. God was there in the tabernacle, but they couldn't get there. There was a priest that went in for them and made the sacrifice. They saw God's presence there around them. They would go to have festivals and feasts and things, but they didn't have the personal relationship with God that we have today. That's what these spiritual blessings are all about. First of all, he says they are in heavenly places. All the blessings we're going to talk about this morning are transactions that take place in heaven. All of the things that God does for us that we're going to list this morning are things that he does spiritually for us. Some of them we're looking at ourselves and we're saying, I don't see that happening. I still see like forgiveness of sins. I still have them in my mind like redemption. I don't feel like I'm totally redeemed yet from my sin. Yet as far as God's concerned, those things have already transpired. When he saved us, he sees us totally under the blood of Jesus Christ. And all the things, all the blessings we're going to talk about this morning have already happened in his presence, in his mind, in his heart. All these things have already taken place. They're a done deal. They're finished. And they're all, he says, in Jesus, in Christ. All the blessings we have are possible because of what Jesus did on the cross. Remember the three words that he uttered just before he died on the cross? It is finished. <laughs> it's, all, it's all done. It's a done deal. When he died on that cross, when he shed his blood, all of these blessings were automatically transferred to everyone that God has chosen and made his child. So all of these are in Jesus Christ. They're finished. They're done. So let's start and look where we're starting. First of all, he says in verse 4, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Before creation ever happened, before God ever made the world, before anything had ever come to being, God chose you. Let that sink in for a second. 
might fry your mind, but there's a truth that God existed before any of this world was there, and he already knew who he would create. He knew you would be born in 1955 or whatever year it is. He knew where your house was going to be, who your parents would be. He knew the time that you would come to understand who he was and be his child. God chose you before the foundation of the world. I thought about this too. Let's just say there, and throughout all time, there are a billion Christians. I don't know if we've had a billion get saved. Certainly hundreds of millions. You're not one in a billion or one of a billion. You are one in a billion. (laughs) God chose you individually. God didn't just say, oh, all these people are my chosen. He said, I want you, I want you, I want you, I want you, I want you. He chose me individually before the foundation of the world. And it's a truth. If, if there was no other person on earth, Jesus would have died just for me or just for you. God loves us that much that he would choose us in all of that. Second uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust punishment for the day of, of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh. Uh, that must, must be First Peter, I'm sorry. First Peter 2, 9 and 10, I got the wrong verse, sorry. Yeah. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light you were once not a people but now you are the people of god you had not obtained mercy but now you have obtained mercy that's what it means to be chosen by god we were a nothing we were we had no people to belong to and now we are a part of the people of God. We are chosen by him. What does it say we're chosen to? Those verses we just read talk about holiness that he requires. He said in verse 4, to be holy and without blame before him in love. You are chosen to be God's holy people. He requires holiness from us he desires holiness in us he wants to give us the power to live a holy life he's not asking you to do it on your own he is doing it for you he's giving his spirit inside of you to give the power to live the holy life that he desires of you We are vessels of mercy. That's a cool phrase in Romans chapter 9, verses 22 and 23. He says, What if God, wanting to show his mercy, his wrath, and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath, prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory? on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory. 
We're not the former, we're the latter. Those who do not accept God, who not who do not accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, are going to be vessels of wrath. When he lo- he's referring to in those verses back in Egypt, the Pharaoh was a vessel of wrath. He refused to let God's people go. He refused to accept that God was God and in charge, and God displayed His wrath on Pharaoh, and He was a vessel of wrath. But Israel was his vessels of mercy, and he showed grace and mercy and delivered them. And we are chosen to be vessels of mercy from God, to live for Jesus by his power. What else does he say we have as far as blessings, spiritual blessings? Verse 5, he's predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasures of his will. I don't know if any of you are adopted. I can't understand what it's like to be adopted. Sometimes I know adopted children feel, I guess you can look at it two ways. Number one, you look at your birth parents and you say, they didn't want me. They gave me up. And there are reasons that that happens, sometimes good ones. But the other side of that coin is you have parents now who chose you. They wanted you. They adopted you. They wanted you to be part of their family, and they gave you that privilege of being their son or their daughter and bringing you into their family. And that's what God does for us. It does not yet appear what we will be, but we're going to be like him because he's made us, chosen us as children, as sons for him. That makes God our father. Jesus, remember the prayer when the disciples said, teach us to pray. The very first thing, the very first line he said, you're supposed to pray, our Father who art in heaven. Think about that for them to to be learning that. I want you to call on God as your Father and, and how much he loves you, how tender he is towards you, how much he cares about you. That shows our relationship with him, that we are a child, he is our Father, and Jesus is our brother. All that happens instantly when you accept Jesus Christ. You become adopted into the family of God. I understand, too, in the Roman times it meant something special because as a Roman under the law, if you adopted a child, you could never write them out of your will. It was permanent. You couldn't choose a child to adapt them and then say, well, later on, I don't really want them anymore. That was permanent. And that's the way God is with us. When he adopts us, it's permanent. You can't do anything that's ever going to make you no longer a child of God or make him no longer want to be your father. He loves us unconditionally and has called us his children unconditionally. Colossians 1.21 says, And you who were once alienated and enemies... In your mind, by wicked works, he's reconciled to himself. You realize at one point in your life before you accepted Jesus, you were his enemy. You were God's enemy. You may not have literally done it, but in our hearts, we were shaking our fist at God and saying, you're not going to rule over me. You're not going to tell me what to do. I'm the master of my destiny, the captain of my ship. At some point, we have to recognize that we surrender And he takes an enemy 
and makes a friend out of. It takes an enemy and makes a child out of. And the, the verse that we read before in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, I think that's the same verses we read, that we were not a people and we have been made a people. He called us out of darkness into his light. We had no mercy and now we've obtained mercy. All those things happen the instant you become a child of God. And what does he give his children? How does he take care of his children? When Jesus was talking to the disciples, he said, your father's not, if you ask for a fish, he's not going to give you a serpent. If you ask for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. I alluded to this earlier. God's going to give us only what we desire, what we need. He's going to give us what's best for us. He's always going to provide for us. Jesus compared himself to a shepherd who gives his sheep water and food and protection, leadership, provision, all of the things that God gives us as his father, he's giving to us as his children for us. Mercy, love, grace, discipline. I need to be disciplined sometimes. And in Hebrews it says, every father who loves his children disciplines them. And God disciplines me, sometimes to bring me back to himself, sometimes just to make me a stronger Christian. But all of those things are true because we are in the family of God, because we're adopted as children. That's a great blessing that God gives us. Next verse, he says, In him we have redemption through his blood. Redemption. How many of y'all... Some of y'all are older. The young ones won't remember. Everybody remember S&H green stamps? <laughs> when you go to the grocery store, they used to give you these stamps. And then you had these books, and you would lick them and paste them in there. And then they had a store called the S&H green stamp store. And you'd go in there, and they had all kind of items that you could get, you know, blenders and irons. And if you had the right amount of books, you'd go in and redeem them. You say, I'm going to trade these books for whatever it is, and you're getting them. So you're, you're, you're trading something, buying something back. from. So redemption carries the idea of buying back. Um, there's a great story. I don't know if it's true or not. It might just be a, um, a story to illustrate this, but there was a young boy who was, his father was teaching him how to work with wood, and he made a boat for himself carved it, beautiful sailboat, put a little mast on it and a sail, painted it, put his name on it, got a string, went down to the stream, was playing with it in the water, and he lost the string and took it downstream. It's gone. He was heartbroken. This thing that he had made so special to him was now gone forever. Well, it turned out a couple of days later, he and his father went into town, and they were walking down the main street, and there was a little shop, a curio shop, and his boat was in the window. <laughs> and he went in and realized somebody had found it and sold it to the curio shop, and it, and it was there. And he went in, and he, only, he saw the price on it. He had just enough money, and he went in, and he paid for the boat, and he bought it back. And he said, you're mine twice now. I made you. And I bought you. And that's what it is with us as Christians. God made us and he bought us back. We sold ourselves into sin and the slavery of sin. And God has bought us back. 
1 Peter 1.18 says, Knowing that you were redeemed not with corruptible things like silver or gold from your sinless conduct, aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. How are we redeemed? With the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Salvation is free, but it's not cheap. Our redemption is free, but it's not cheap. It costs Jesus Christ his life. We're redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ shed on that cross. He bought us back, not silver and gold, and not of our own. There's nothing we can do to buy ourselves back. We can't pay for our salvation. You can't take anything out of this world with you, and nobody, there's no billionaire going to get up to heaven and say, let me write you a check, God. How much, how much do I need to get in here? The only way in is by the blood of Jesus Christ. Redemption through his blood. Uh, 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20 tells us, Do you not know that you're not your own? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. You're not your own. And you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We're redeemed and we're now his possession. And we're supposed to live as his possession. In the Old Testament, the book of Hosea, he married a woman and she ran off from him. And I guess she got into trouble and ended up on a slave block and he bought her back. And we were in the slave block of sin and God bought us back. And so we're his now. We're supposed to honor him in everything we do. That same verse says, not only are we redeemed through his blood, we have the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace that he made abound to us in all wisdom and prudence. Part of redemption is the payment for us, and that payment is to pay for our sins. All of us are born from the time that Adam sinned. Each of us is born with a sin nature, and we sin willfully against God. And so we have a debt of sin that cannot be paid. God says the wages of sin is death, and no, the soul that sins is going to surely die. No sin can get into heaven, so we can't come into God's presence. We'll never make it to heaven as long as we have sin in our lives. And again, we've already looked at redemption. There's nothing you can do to buy that. There's nothing you can do to make up for those sins. It's not that scale system that the world seems to think. I'm doing enough good deeds so that it outweighs my bad deeds, and then God's going to let me into heaven. It doesn't work that way payment for our sins had to be by the blood of Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of the sins is through him, not through us, and nothing we can do. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness, and he's conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. There's a great verse that talks about, in Romans, God taking 
our sins and nailing it to the cross. And I looked at the, 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 all the Greek words and what they mean. It says that we have a list of sins against us. It's a legal document. Think about all the sins you've committed in your life. If you had an indictment made and they wrote all those sins out, one by one, line by line, all the different things we had sinned against God. I was telling Bruce yesterday of mine, they'd go, and it would roll out from here to eternity, all the sins that I've committed in my life. It says that God took that and he nailed it to the cross with a spike right through his son's hand. And it obliterated all of our sins. Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has it removed our sins from us. Think about that fact that your sins, as great as they are, as many as they are, God has taken every one of them and obliterated them, covered them with the blood of Jesus Christ. There's a cool magic act that you, it's a chemical one. They have this um, fluid that's red. No, the fluid is black, and you pour a red fluid in it, and it turns white. (laughs) I don't know what causes that, but it illustrates that our sin is so black, and you can pour the blood of Jesus Christ on it, it turns white as snow. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. They're red as crimson, they'll be like wool. Jesus Christ and his death on the cross paid for every sin. And think of, I was thinking of the things that, that means when you have forgiveness of sins. No more guilt. Think about the guilt that we carried around before we were Christians. And sometimes now we let Satan try and convince us that our sin should make us feel guilty and evil and dirty. When we know that Jesus Christ takes them away, there's no guilt there. The shame. We don't want to confess our sins to God or to each other because we're worried that what some people is going to think and how, how shameful that makes us feel. When your sins are gone, when they're obliterated, there's no shame left. They're taken care of. Jesus took all that shame on the cross. He hung naked on the cross, dying for me, mocked to take that shame so that I wouldn't have the shame of sin. No payment. Every religion in this world is looking for a way to pay their way to heaven. Hinduism, Mohammedism, all of them have something they got to do. Crawl on their knees, make sacrifices, burn incense, whatever it is that they think somehow they're going to do. In the time of Israel, they were sacrificing their children in the fire to somehow appease the gods and work their way to heaven. There's nothing we have to do. The payment is in full. Boom, stamped, paid in full. It is finished. It's done. Jesus paid for all of our sins. And no punishment. People who don't accept Jesus Christ, the, pain, the punishment for sin is eternity in hell. It takes forever to pay for the sin in our lives in hell. We don't have that punishment. Jesus took it for us on the cross in the time that he paid the time that he suffered there, no punishment, no payment, no guilt. All of those things are taken care of by the forgiveness of sins. That's amazing. They're sent away. All right, number five, it says in the next verse, 
having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he pleasures purposed in himself in the dispensation of the fullness of the times that he might gather together in all things in Christ both which are in heaven and on earth in him. God made known to us, this is talking about his will. Steve teaches a lot about the big picture, right? So you had Adam's sin, and God already knew what he was going to do. He sent the law to convince us that we needed a Savior. The law showed us we were guilty, that we couldn't work our way to heaven, that we weren't any good, that we weren't good enough. Then he sent Jesus to die for our sins that would bring us to himself. Jesus is in heaven now. The church age is going on. One day he's going to come back and set up his kingdom and eventually eternity forever. God's laid the whole plan out before us in his word. The world doesn't understand that. They don't get it, what God is doing, what he has in mind, his will. And it's also his day-to-day will for us, what God, he has a will for your life. We talked about before living a holy life before him. He has a day-to-day will of the things that he wants you to accomplish for him. Man plans his ways, God directs his steps. In Psalm 119, 105, it says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. God gave us this word so that we would know what his will was for us, what we're supposed to do, what we're supposed to accomplish, what he desires for us. And Psalm 19, 7 through 11 talks about how beautiful God's word is and how much it gives us, more desired than, than gold to us, and how by it we learn wisdom and riches and honor. All the Proverbs is about knowing God and his will and his wisdom and what the difference that should make in our lives. He's revealed all of that to us through his word, spiritually discerned. In 2 Corinthians 2.14, it talks about that all of the things that God wants to teach us are learned spiritually, not earthly. You wonder why sometimes when you try and explain spiritual things to someone, they look at you with a blank stare. They don't really understand because it has to be, the Holy Spirit has to take things and put them in our hearts. They have to be spiritually discerned. They're not learned by our human understanding. They have to be taught by God's Spirit in our hearts. So, The world wants to learn earthly things, but they have no desire for spiritual things. They don't want to know what those things are. God has to come in their heart, give them his spirit to be able to explain those things and teach them. We have that. We've got his spirit in us to teach us. Number six, he says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be the praise of his glory. What kind of inheritance you got? My mom left me a little bit of money, not much, 
I didn't want any. I told her, spend it while you got it because I, I don't need it. <laughs> Some people inherit great things from their parents. They want to be passed down. We all inherit from our parents some different things. I have some artistic abilities I got from my mom. I probably inherited a lot of stubbornness from my dad and some other things too. Uh, but God has got an inheritance for us that you can't see here on earth. He says we're supposed to lay up treasures in heaven, not here. They're spiritual blessings, all the ones we're talking about here, but more than that as well. In John 14, 1-3, Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. We're going to have a heavenly home. One day when we leave this earth, God's got a special place for us to live with him forever. A home and a, a dwelling place, and we'll live forever with him. Moth and rust don't, doesn't corrupt. Nothing ever dies there. You don't have to know upkeep. I live in a 1927 bungalow. I can't tell you how many things I've had to do in that house. Plumbing, electric, everything's something falling apart at one point or another, seems like. When I get my heavenly home, no plumbers up there, no electricians. Everything's perfect. It's going to be perfect forever, just like it is. And it's going to be, I can't imagine what it is. Put it this way, the streets are made out of gold, so what's the house is going to be like, right? It's going to be an amazing place to live. First uh, Corinthians three twelve through fifteen. We're talking about rewards that we have. One day when we get to heaven, we're going to stand before Jesus Christ, and He's going to reward us for the way we've served Him here on earth. And in, in verse twelve, it says, "If anyone builds on the foundation of Jesus with gold, silver, precious stones." wood, hay, straw. Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. It will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each man's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he's done endures, he'll receive a reward. If it's burned up, he's going to suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as by fire. When you serve Jesus Christ God keeps track of that, no matter what it is, a, cu- a cup of cold water in his name, when you do something for others, when you encourage others, when you pray for others, when you tell others about Jesus Christ, when you share your money, your car, your house, whatever it is that God has given you gifts and things that he desires for you to use for his kingdom, if you use those things, he keeps track of that and he's got a reward. And one day when we face him, we stand before him when he's on the Bema seat, he will look at all the things we've done and reward us accordingly. If we did it for ourselves, if the only reason I stand up here and sing is just so everybody at the end of the service will go, wow, you have an amazing voice. Way to go. I love the way you play guitar. That's wood, hay, stubble. You get to heaven, poof, it's gone. Okay. <laughs> If I know in my heart God gave me these gifts and he wants me to use them for him and praise him for it and give him the honor and the glory for it, then I get rewards for that. It's pretty simple. If we do it for our own selves and our own glory, you have your reward here. If we do it for him and his honor and his glory, our rewards are waiting ahead of us. That's what he desires. 
and crowns. That's kind of an interesting concept. It says that if we love him and love his appearing, he's going to give us a crown of life. And Paul talked about all the works that he did for Jesus. He says, one day God's going to give me a crown of righteousness. That's amazing to think that God saves me. He does all the work on the cross. By his grace, he draws me, he chooses me, he makes me his son. He gives me his spirit in me to give me the power and the desire to do things for him. And when all of that is said and done, he's going to reward me for that. (laughs) It makes no sense. But that's the way he is. It's all him, nothing of me. And yet he still rewards me for that. Story of an elephant and a mouse are walking across a suspension bridge. And as they get in the middle of it, as they're stomping, you know, the bridge is just shaking and shaking and shaking. They get all the other other side and the mouse looks back, the bridge is still shaking. He goes, we really shook that bridge, didn't we? Like he did something, right? When I, all of us are going to get to heaven and we're going to say, we really did something, didn't we? No. It talks about throwing our crowns at his feet because we recognize it's all of him and nothing of us. The last one is the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 13, After we heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, after we believed, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. He's the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of glory. You know what a guarantee is? Um, when you buy a house, how many of y'all ever bought a house and had to put a down payment on? Okay, that's so they know you're going to come back and buy the house, right? That's a promise. I'm going to buy this, and they require something up front. They're not going to hold that house forever just because you say, I'm going to come and buy it. You have to say, I'm going to do this. You put down a guarantee, a promise. God says by Jesus, one day I'm going to come back and get you and take you to myself. And you say, Can you give us a guarantee? He says, done. And he puts his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. Every time you sense the Spirit in you, praising God, giving you joy, giving you peace, think, wow, I got that guarantee. That's a guarantee that that God's in me, that he's coming back for me. It's a promise that the salvation is going to be completed. Salvation's a process. He saved us from the penalty of sin when when Jesus died on the cross. He's saving us from the power of sin right now by his Holy Spirit living in us and helping us to live the life he desires. One day he's going to save us from the very presence of sin when he's going to make us totally holy and living with him forever in heaven. And the Holy Spirit put in our our lives, in our bodies, is a guarantee of that. That's our promise that he's going to finish the salvation He's going to complete the work that he began in us. God in us, the hope of glory. Ephesians 2.18 says, Through him we have access by one spirit to the Father. Think about that. Israel, they had one man go one day out of the year, one time into the Holy of Holies, into God's presence to make a sacrifice for sin. 
we have the ability, the privilege of going to, into God's presence 24-7 because of Jesus. He's an anchor within the veil. The veil was rent from top to bottom, opened up. God says you can come into my presence anytime you want because of Jesus. We have 24-7 access to Jesus Christ. Power, Acts 1-8, you'll receive power and the Holy Spirit's come on you and you'll be my witnesses to all the world. And the guarantee of our salvation, which is the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22, he talks about that guarantee. These, this is by no, no means a, a complete list of all the spiritual blessings we have in Jesus Christ. This is just one little section that Paul wrote down just to remind us a little bit of how much you got. So if you ever start to feeling like maybe you don't have everything you want, um, one of the verses when he's talking about count your blessings Think of that God has promised. When you look at others with their houses and lands and gold, think of God has promised you his wealth untold. All the things that money cannot buy, we have in Jesus Christ. It's beyond our understanding and grasp how much he's given us, how much he's blessed us with, the spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Let's pray. Father, we do praise you for this just little sample. When we get to heaven and we really look at all that we had here on earth, not just as physical blessings, but as spiritual blessings, your joy, your peace, your leading, your guiding, your comfort, your grace, your mercy, we'll just be blown away. And even now, just looking at this, how much we have in Jesus, how how easy it is for me to take for granted all these spiritual blessings. How much I mean to you, how much each one of us is to you, is shown by Jesus laying down his life on that cross. Renew our love for you and keep these thoughts in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen.